June 21st, 1947. Jackie Robinson has broken into Major League Baseball, the first African-American player to do so. He's broken the color barrier. And everywhere he goes, he's on the receiving end of a lot of hate, a lot of abusive language, a lot of nastiness, ugliness. And on this day, the great Pee Wee Reese goes to him, stands beside him, and um, lets people know who he is. That's a beautiful picture. I love, like I said, one of my favorite scenes. And in that scene, he illustrates what it is because to, to stand beside somebody. Maybe you've had a moment in your life where you were being run down, you were being attacked, and somebody stood beside you and claimed you. What if we feel on the outs with God? What if we've blown it? Do you know we have somebody who comes, who literally comes alongside of us, stands next to us, owns us even in our failure. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Even when we blow it, I mean, when we've messed up royally, when we've sinned, he doesn't give up on us. He claims us. He stands beside us. Today, we're continuing this series of messages during the month of June we're calling for us. It comes from Romans chapter 8. And if our God is for us, who can be against us? We serve a God who is not against us, who is not condemning us. We serve a God who is on our side, who is for us. Last week, we looked at the fact that Jesus is our intercessor. In Hebrews 7, 15, it says he lives continually to make intercession for us. He is praying for us. He's praying for you right now. Well, this concept takes it a bit further. Here in 1 John, Jesus is called the advocate. As the intercessor, he prays for us. As the advocate, he steps across the line, enters our space comes alongside of us and claims us as his own, even in our sin, especially in our sin, because he's for us. what, What John, the apostle, is telling us here is that when we fall, Jesus rises to our defense. He is the advocate. So a couple of things I want to point out in uh, this passage out of 1 John. First is this, we fall, he rises. Now, John wants us to understand the severity of the problem, this problem of sin. And three different times in his first letter here, this is written by John the Apostle. He's part of the, he's one of the original disciples. He was in the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, all right? And he writes this letter. And before he gets to this beautiful truth of Jesus being our advocate, he has to help set the table. He sets the table and helps us understand why we need an advocate, because we have a sin problem. Three different times, he deals with false claims. 
that he's hearing people, uh, even in the Christian community, making. And so he needs to address these. First false claim is in verse six. He says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and don't live out the truth. What he's saying there is um, there are some who say sin doesn't really matter. No, he uses this analogy. He uses the analogy of light and darkness. Light and darkness cannot cohabitate the same, cannot live in the same place. And so if we claim to walk with Jesus, um, we can't also live in the darkness. We can't minimize sin. Now, we live in a day and time when we minimize the concept of sin. I'm okay, you're okay, everybody's okay, you just be you. But the Bible takes it very seriously, so much so, in fact, that, that Jesus goes to the cross to die for it. That's how, that's how serious our condition is. That's how serious the problem sin is. All right, so sin does matter. Now, going on to the next claim, verse eight. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now there, he's talking not so much about individual sins as, it, as so much as having a sin nature. You see, friends, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. The, script, the, right, the, the writers of Scripture tell us that we have a fallen nature, that this is with us from birth, that, um, that almost everything we do is tainted by this nature. If sin was the color blue, it's not that we occasionally have a blue streak now and then. It's that Literally, almost everything we think, say, and do is tainted with just a little bit of blue. This is called having a sin nature. He says, if we deny this, we are deceiving ourselves. It's, it's fundamental to our nature, and it's a problem of the nature. I mean, just look at it. If you've been a parent or grandparent, um, you know that you don't have to train little kids how to be selfish. <laughs> Ever notice they just kind of pick up on that? You ever notice how they talk about their stuff and they want to be first and everything? Now, my, um, I, have, I have six grandkids and one of my youngest is Ellie. Ellie is about a year and a half old and we had her at uh, Family Fest over at Cape Splash and I'm carrying her around. She's the sweetest thing. I, I should have had a picture with you. I, I got about 100 if you would check with me after. <laughs> I, she's so stinking cute. Well, she's with me, Cape Splash. She wants to get down. I, did, I couldn't let her down. And this sweet little girl with her face, oh, can melt, melt the heart of any grandfather. She looks at me and takes the sweet little fingers and her pointy fingernails and pinches me <laughs> and looks at me. And I said, ow! And she had no expression on her face. <laughs> and I told her mom, she goes, oh, dude, she does that all the time, dad. She just does it all the time. No one taught her to do that. She was not getting her way, so she was going to pinch me. We have a sin nature. Now, thirdly, third false claim. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. There he's referring to sometimes Christians down through the ages, sometimes in various settings, will get this notion. Well, I'm a believer in Jesus now. Everything's good. I don't sin anymore. Um, becoming a Christian does not keep you from sinning. Now, what it does mean is that the power of sin is broken. Sin remains, but it no longer reigns. It doesn't reign in your life, but it remains. You and I will continue to sin until the day we die. 
And he says, if we claim not to, then we're, we're lying because we continue to, to sin. We continue to fall. So he deals with these false claims because he needs to get to this next thing to really help us appreciate and understand it. So while you've got that going on, we fall and we realize the depth of it. We realize that we're guilty, that no excuses. Well, then what happens is that there's one who accuses us. In fact, that's his name, or what we call him, uh, Satan. Satan is, is actually a title. It's not, a, it's not his name, all right? It literally means the Satan. When you see it in scriptures, it's the Satan. Satan means accuser, the accuser. John, who wrote this letter, also wrote uh, the book of Revelation, the last book in our Bible, and he wrote this. He had this vision. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who, who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Satan will be kicked out. But he calls him the accuser who accuses us night and day. You have a spiritual enemy who watches you points out your flaws and failures and tells God, look at what she's doing again. Look at what he just said. And you call him your son. We have a little glimpse of this. Job, Job gives us, um, Brett did a brilliant message on it a few months ago, but Job gives us this brilliant, this fascinating kind of look behind the scenes, like the, behind the curtains of what go, is going on in heaven. So we're told in Job chapter one that all of the angels come before God and Satan shows up among them. We think that Satan was once named Lucifer. We don't know. We kind of think that. And um, God starts bragging on Job. What a, what a righteous, good man Job is. And this is how Satan responds. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he'll surely curse you to your face. In other words, Job, he's a mercenary. He doesn't love you, God. He's only serving you for what he gets out of it. You've given him so much stuff. That's all he cares about. Take all that stuff away and he'll stop serving you. So Job is this fascinating story, of course, where everything does get taken from him. But there's just a little glimpse of what the accuser does. And then John gets to the best part of this whole thing. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, I want you to see a couple of things. First off, the first part of that verse, I write these things to you so you will not sin. Uh, first off, the Bible has this power from God. It's the word of God that can enable us to gain victory over sin. It says, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. Um, and, 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 um, it's, but, he's, but he says it's present. Uh, and, and, and so he wants us to hear um, that God wants us to be free from sin. The Bible, the gospel calls us to leave sin, knowing that we still continue to sin, but it calls us to leave sin. Now, if we just stopped right there, 
leave your sin, that would leave us in a very depressing situation. Like, great, how am I gonna do that? How do I do that? That's why what he says next is so good. But if anybody does, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, the word there that gets translated advocate is an interesting Greek word called uh, called paraclete. Paraclete gets used so often by preachers like me that it has actually made its way into the English dictionary, all right? Um, and it is translated, it, that word occurs five times in the New Testament here and four times in the Gospel of John, all on, in John chapters 14, 15, and 16, where Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit and he calls the Holy Spirit the paraclete. I'm not gonna leave you orphaned, I'm gonna come to you. Um, and, and there in John, it's fascinating because depending on your translation, that word gets translated a number of different ways. Sometimes it's translated helper, sometimes counselor, sometimes comforter, sometimes companion, sometimes advocate. Now, why do our English translations have so many words for this one word, paraclete? Well, that's a, that's a good clue that says there's not an equivalent word in English that exactly matches up. So they come up with the next best thing. Because what paraclete literally means is one who is called alongside. That's what the word means. One who is called alongside. Five, it takes five English words to capture this one Greek word. He's the one who comes to our side. Now, Jesus speaks of, of the Holy Spirit as the paraclete, the one called along to our side. Here in John, Jesus is called this. He's our advocate, which makes the best sense in this particular verse. Now, who is this advocacy for? He tells us, if anybody, it's open. That's you, that's me, anybody. When is it needed? If anybody sins. We need an advocate when we sin. Why is Jesus able to be our advocate? Because he's, he's the righteous one. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus is the only one who has lived and never sinned. And, and so he is able to come to our aid to stand alongside of us. Now, this takes the concept of the intercessor just another step forward. Last week, we talked about Jesus praying for us, all right? Um, the, intercess, the, the advocate crosses the line, comes next to us, and stands beside us, takes it a step further. You may be familiar with uh, the, the Puritan author, John Bunyan. He wrote the best-selling uh, book of all time. You know what that book is? Yeah, Pilgrim's Progress, best-selling Christian uh, book of all time. And uh, lived back in the uh, 1500s, 16th century. And he wrote an entire book on Hebrews 7.15, which we looked at last week, that Jesus is the intercessor, one who prays for us. He also wrote an entire book on 1 John 2.1, that he's the advocate. And in this book, he contrasts Jesus' role as the priestly intercessor, the one who prays for us, and the advocate. And it's sort of in rhyme, except the last verse doesn't rhyme for some reason, but it's sort of this way. He says this, Christ as priest goes before, and Christ as an advocate comes after. Christ as priest continually intercedes. 
Christ as advocate in times in case of great transgression pleads. Christ as priest has need to act always, but Christ as advocate sometimes only. Christ as priest acts in times of peace, but Christ as advocate in times of broils, turmoil, and sharp contentions. Jesus is always interceding for us. He's praying for you right now. But when you sin, when you blow it, when you fail, you need an advocate. Someone to stand up against the accusations and the condemnations and to stand by your side. And this is what he does. Because he can't stand to allow us to fend for ourselves. He loves us too much. He's going to come to our side. We, we don't use the word advocate a lot in our culture today, but it does appear. And uh, some of you may be familiar with an organization that is all about advocacy, CASA. It stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate. And uh, these advocates are appointed to children uh, in the foster care system. And we have several folks in our church who volunteer with CASA. And I wanted to um, interview one, let you hear a little bit about what uh, a CASA volunteer does to help understand the idea of advocate, and uh, invited Deb Sabella to come and to share. She is a volunteer uh, with CASA. Come on up, Deb. And just got a couple of questions uh, for you today. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. So um, I just introduced very briefly CASA. Can you tell us, tell everybody a little bit more about what it is? Well, another name for CASA is Voices for Children. So I think that better explains what we do. Um, we are volunteers. <clears throat> and so our role is to meet with the children on a monthly basis, get to know them, look at the environment that they're living in now with the foster family. Um, we, our role is to be a liaison between them and the court system, and we do that in conjunction with a lot of professionals, attorneys, and caseworkers with the children's divisions. So we participate in team calls, and on those calls, the biological mother is on the calls. And those, so there's a plan with goals that she is supposed to meet to get the children back, so we go over all of that. And so, you know, I know what's supposed to happen for those children to be reunified with her, and then I also can see how they are in the foster family. So how is it then that you actually advocate for the child that's assigned to you? So we can speak up during these calls. We actually have to do um, documentation every time we meet. We have a court report that we have to do, and on that court report, there's a place for recommendations and suggestions that the judge actually reads. So if I have concerns, I can voice those, but I actually pick up the phone and call the caseworker if I have concerns, and she takes my calls. So you've, you've, uh, you're relatively new. You've had one. Right. Uh, and uh, tell, us what, tell us a little bit about your uh, special child, the one you're advocating okay. for. So I have two foster children. In fact, they had guardianship papers signed Wednesday, so they are now in the guardianship. Okay. So I'm no longer their CASA, but I'll always be involved with them. So I'll have a new family soon. So there are two. They were little when the foster families got them, 10 months and not quite four so they were, you know, young. They didn't realize that they were in an environment that wasn't in their best interest. So it's up to us to determine what that is. So I've realized when they were having unsupervised visits with the biological mom that that was not going well. And I knew that because the older child would come home, back to the foster family, you know, saying things, acting out, 
in a manner that she didn't normally do. So I knew things were going on that shouldn't be happening. So that's when I picked up the phone and called the caseworker. And so then the, and it wasn't just because of me, she already knew and other people voiced concerns and the mom was not meeting her goals anyway. So then we went back to supervised visits. So you're there to speak up for the child when the child can't speak up for themselves. I know a, a very close family member is a foster parent and I wish their child had a CASA volunteer because they really need some advocacy, but thank God that you're there and others for these children. So thank you for the work. I didn't bring her here to talk about CASA per se, except to illustrate advocacy. But if you're interested, they are in real need of more volunteers and you can talk to Deb after the service. Would you thank her for the work she does? Thank you. So that's just one way that advocacy works, a, an adult stepping into a very difficult family situation and, and taking the side, coming alongside of a child. And this is exactly what Jesus does for us. He comes to our defense, he comes to our aid, and he stands with us. And I want you to hear, he stands with us in the midst of our sin. Now, I want you to think about that dark pocket in your life. That thing that has been tripping you up forever. That thing that is, um, as Hebrews calls it, the sin that so easily entangles. And I want you to think about tripping and falling because we fall. And what do you think Jesus, what is his posture towards you at that moment? Let's say for you, your dark pocket is, you've got a volatile temper and you have lost your cool with people you love the most and afterwards you feel horrible and you promise yourself, I'm never gonna do that again. And then you're short fused and you blow it again. What does Jesus think of you at that moment that you've lost your cool? that he's disappointed in you, he's condemning you. No. It is at that moment. And maybe for you, it's addiction. Maybe for you, it's, it's greed. It can be a number of things. At that moment, Jesus comes alongside of you and claims you as his own and stands with you just like Pee Wee Reese did that day with Jackie Robinson. When everything is against you, including your own thoughts, your own thoughts, your own heart is condemning you, Jesus advocates for you. He stands by your side in that moment. For when we fall, he rises he rises to our defense. Remember, John 3.16, most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus' posture towards you is not condemnation. It's grace. So we fall, he rises. And he can do this because he pays. And we go free. He pays the price. Um, go back to 1 John Chapter two, verse two, right after we're told that he's the advocate. He, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins 
and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, once you understand this advocacy, Jesus standing by your side is not him minimizing your sin or just brushing it aside as if it doesn't matter. It's not him excusing your sin or blaming someone or something else because of it. He advocates for you based upon his life, death, and resurrection, not on your presumed guilt or innocence. We're guilty. He advocates because it's his nature to do so. He loves us. And his provision is in, his, is in the cross. And so he advocates for us because that has all been paid for in the cross. Now, what do we do? John tells us in the midst of this teaching section, there's one thing that we're asked to do. Verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What is your part? What is my part? Confess. Confess is a very simple little word. It means, literally it means to agree with. This behavior is wrong. Oh, and I did it. That's confession. And that's it. It's all you need to do. You can't atone for your sin. You can't feel bad enough for it or shame yourself enough for it to make it go away. You can't do a penance to make it somehow, you know, balance it out. No, 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 no. The only thing that takes care of our sin is the blood of Jesus. You just confess. God, I did it. This is wrong. No blame, no games. I just agree with you. Now, I've heard critics um, through the years say, well, yeah, you Christians do that, and that just gives you license to go out and do it again. You sin, you confess it, and then you just go out and do it again like no big deal. Um, well, I guess you could take that attitude, but why would you? Let's say, for instance, that um, you just got some brand new carpet at your house, brand new carpet, light-colored carpet, okay? And someone comes to your house, and they spill an entire cup of coffee on the carpet. I mean, you know what that, that's a big mess, right? Try to get coffee out of the carpet. It's not so easy. But you have this uncle, and he's come up with this formula that magically, just wonderfully, takes all of that coffee stain completely away from, from the carpet. And he comes over your house and cleans it up. It's amazing. Okay, is your response to that going to be, okay, everybody, you bring your friends over and have a coffee party and everybody throw their coffee on the carpet because it'll get cleaned up afterwards anyway. No, why would you do that? Of course not. Sin is the stuff that diminishes life. Sin destroys life. Sin takes life away from us. Why would we want to do that? We confess because we, we want to be right with God. But he advocates for us in the midst of it. Which, you know the wonderful thing about this? Is it frees us from self-advocacy because we human beings are really good at it. What we often do with our sin, besides, instead of just confessing it to God, we minimize it, we rationalize it, we excuse it, we blame others for it. In short, we self-advocate. What if someone advocated for you? Well, that would free you. 
You wouldn't have to do that. You wouldn't have to make excuses. You wouldn't have to blame anybody. You just simply receive the gift that's been given to you, and that's what you do. What a wonderfully liberating thing it is I have to stop, that I can stop blaming, I can stop minimizing my sin, I can simply own it, and Jesus takes it from there, and he took it from there, even before I confessed it. He doesn't wait to advocate for you till you confess it and get it all right. He advocates for you in the middle of the sin as you're losing your temper, as you're watching that porn, as you're saying those hurtful words again. He advocates for you because that's when we need it the most. Um, Dane Ortland wrote a book, Gentle and Lowly, and he wrote this. He says, do not minimize your sin or excuse it away. Raise no defense. Simply take it to the one who is already at the right hand of the Father, advocating for you on the basis of his wounds. Let your own righteousness and all your darkness and despair drive you to Jesus Christ, the righteous one, in all of his brightness and sufficiency. That's what you do with your sin. You let it drive you to Jesus. And he stands there. So let me, I'll just close by asking, will you let him advocate for you? That scene from the movie 42, did you notice when Pee Wee Reese went up, put his arm around Jackie? Jackie did not reciprocate. He didn't put his arm around him because he's like, not sure what's going on. Doesn't know if he can really trust his motives at that time. He's, he's, he's a little, little kind of um, unsure. Then he warms up at the end. Will you let Jesus stand by you? Will you ex- accept the gift he has? And let him, even in the midst of your fall, rise to your defense. If so, you know the beauty of his advocacy. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you are for us, even in our darkest moments, even our worst moments, even when we have done that thing that we promised we'd never do again, and there we are doing it again, you love us then. We thank you that when we disappoint everybody around us, when we disappoint ourselves, you do not pile on. You do not condemn us. But you come to our side. You're the one who stands alongside of us. Thank you. And thank you, Lord, that I don't have to get everything right and perfect in my world for you to advocate for me. Thank you that you do it even when I'm failing. Lord, I pray that somebody here today who has um, felt condemnation from you would experience your grace and your love, your unconditional love, and that they'll rest in that. That they'd give up blaming, that they'd give up minimizing it or justifying it and just simply rest in you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are the one who stands with us, beside us, even in our worst moments. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, make sure to subscribe to this channel. Feel free to share this with others that God has put on your heart. To learn more about LaCroix Church or to find your next steps, head to lacroixchurch.org. Thanks again for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon.